Now, pull out your message notes. Uh, I, I love to offer message notes every week. I had someone last week say, man, one of the best things I loved about this was I got notes to take home uh, with me. And we do that on purpose because I really believe Sunday is a facilitation of conversation. My, my greatest desire is that it would stir something up inside of you, and then throughout the week, you'd go back and study it and read it and let the Lord minister to you in a powerful, powerful way. And so always feel free to grab those when you walk in. Also, digitally on the Bible app, they're available to you. If you want to go to the Bible app, you can do the digital message notes that way as well. Now, as I said earlier, Easter is... A pivotal day for the Christian church. It's the day that our faith really hinges on the fact that Jesus is alive. He is not dead. Um, I love what Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, this is Jesus speaking through John the beloved. And here's what he is saying to us as the church. Look, he says, I am the living one. I was dead. Everybody say was dead. Look, Jesus isn't dead anymore. He says, behold, I'm alive and forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and hell. And I think you could read through that. And some people won't even venture into Revelation. I get it. Revelation's a little bit of a challenge to read. But I think it's important for us as the church to realize on Easter Sunday that Jesus didn't just die and rise from the dead. He actually went to hell and whooped the devil. He actually stole the keys of the devil's house from the devil, from death and hell. And the reason that is important is because keys are important. Come on, how many, how many know keys are important? How many lost your keys today? You're like, somebody, where's my keys? I, one of my little girls was in the house. She's like, where's mama's keys? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know where mama's keys are. But how many know if you don't have keys, you can't drive the car? Don't have keys, you can't. Get in the house. You can't open it up. You can't lock it up. Keys are extremely important. And we as believers, we got to know the devil took the keys to death. I mean, Jesus took the keys from the devil of death and hell. And why death? Well, because Jesus knew that we'd be sitting here 2,000 years later with areas in our life that are dead and dying. And you can be born again, you can be a believer and still have an area that's dead or dying. Maybe it's an emotional death. You've been in this pandemic, there's been fear, it's ravaged your mind, it's anxiety everywhere you go. I can tell you, you're not alone. I never forget just this last year, I was going to the doctor's office and I, I think, well, God, I don't know if it's really affected me. And I'll never forget, I've told the church, I've told you this story a couple of times, I'm sitting in the doctor's office. Somebody said, well, there, you know, it's the doctor's office. No, I'm just sitting here. Nobody else in the doctor's office got my master's children, and a man comes in and checks in, and the audacity of that man was, he didn't sit over there, he sat right beside me. And I'm like, I mean, I, I, what in the world? I almost got offended. And I thought, when in the world do we get offended at somebody sitting next to us? It's when we begin to wrestle with fear, anxiety. He had a mask. I had a mask. Look, at, like at the end of the day, I just recognize, look, I'm battling fear. And I'll tell you, the greatest thing that will paralyze your life is when we allow fear to lead us and not faith. 
listen, I'm not talking against any mass or anything. I'm just telling you we can spiritually be dying on the inside when fear begins to rob us of the life that God wants us to live. We can be stressed out. We can be anxious. We can be nervous about our financial future. Listen, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know the God that holds tomorrow. And I'm not going to allow anxiety to cause me to die on the inside and not live the life that God has called me to live. We can be dying from loneliness. In fact, Kevin Baxter, one of our, uh, he, he leads part of our lead team and our operations and a big part of this church. I asked him, he oversees five nursing homes. And I said, hey, tell me what's been the biggest challenge that you have seen with the elderly. And what I thought he would say was that COVID was killing them. And he said, no, actually, we hadn't had that many COVID deaths. We had quite a few at one time. I think he had 60 of them that had it. He said, not very many of them passed away from that. He said, but what I have seen is I have seen more people dying from loneliness than COVID. He said, I had a man who was full of life pre-COVID and he was the life of the nursing home, go from one side to the other. He was talking to everybody, chit-chatting. He was kind of like the team pep rally. And then social distancing happened. We had to make him stay in one room. He said it wasn't but a couple of weeks later that man passed away, previously with no conditions that were pre-existing. Just loneliness. You may not die physically, but how many have been dying on the inside? You're like, I just need a friend. Look, got all the friends on Facebook and social media, but you ain't got a real connection in your life. What's happening? We're just dying on the inside. Leads to the relational death. Maybe you suffered a divorce. I want you to know if you've been divorced, Jesus loves you. He loved you then. He loves you now. He'll always love you. There is a hope for your life. There is a future. I don't care what happened. It doesn't matter whose fault. The devil is a liar. He'll tell you you're worthless, that you've been used up, that you're no good. Baby, you are great. God is here for you. You don't have to die on the inside. There's resurrection life for you today. God is greater than divorce. Have you been estranged from a loved one? Son, daughter, mother, father, and they've abandoned you. Maybe they've broken the relationship. Maybe you broke it and you're trying to restore it and you just feel like I'm dying to have that relationship back. Maybe you lost a loved one. I lost my dad this last year. Painful. I called mom last night. Said, you know, hey, dad would be proud. And I felt the Lord said, He's still here. He's just in a different seat. He's part of the great cloud of witnesses that is watching what's taking place. But the pain of that loss, if we don't watch it, it'll cause us to die on the inside. But I want you to know that God's resurrection life is available for us to live the life God's called us to live. Maybe it's a spiritual death. You're physically alive, but spiritually you're dead on the inside. You're breathing air, but you feel separated from God. You feel separated and something isn't right. You feel like you're a million miles away from him. You pray, but you don't hear him. You pray, but you don't feel him. And you just feel like, man, I'm dead. So, like something is wrong with me. I want you to know God's resurrection power is available for you today. And the thing I love about today is the day it's, it's, we really focus. I, I would tell you, and I firmly believe, Easter is not just an event that we attend. 
Easter is supposed to be an experience that we have, that we came in feeling dead in this area, dead in that area, but because of the resurrection life of God in us, that we can have that place resurrected back to life, that I can have hope in a future. I can have restored relationships. I can go from death spiritually to life spiritually. His resurrection power is available for you to experience today. Romans chapter 8 verse 11. The apostle Paul is talking and I want to share this passage through the message Bible and the version. I love it how it breaks it down uh, just to the common language and understanding for us. And so let, let me read this and let it minister to you. It says, Paul speaking, he says, it stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, so you've been saved, you're a Christian. Look, he says, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. Jesus got up. I just want you to know, you can get up too. Your emotions can come alive. Your relationships can come alive. Your spirit can come alive because God wants to live and breathe in you. You're delivered from that dead life. Think about this dead life. Everybody say dead life. It's kind of an oxymoron. It's kind of like jumbo shrimp. <laughs> dead life. Why, why, why would he say it? Because you're alive, but you're walking around as a dead person. You're breathing, but you're not spiritually alive. I want you to know that God can deliver you from the dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. So the best way we can celebrate Easter is to receive his resurrection power today. I want to show you one more passage. Look, John 14, 19. This is written on Thursday night before Jesus is to be crucified on Friday. It says, before long, the world will not see me anymore. So Jesus is talking. He's telling the disciples, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Look, because Jesus is alive, we get to live a life fully alive. That means that he can resurrect your life. You don't have to be lonely anymore. You don't have to be dead spiritually. You don't have to allow the devil to destroy your relationships. You don't have to allow your dreams to be dead or dying. The resurrection power of God is available for us today to walk out and live the life he's called us to live. Everything inside of you can come alive. Now, I was thinking through that this morning. How does that apply? How, how do I understand how to allow God to move in me in such a way that when I walk out, I'm experiencing his power? Well, you gotta understand his process. God loves systems and processes. And the first thing you gotta understand is that he searches for you. Let me say that again, because I know people say, well, I've been looking for God, but I, I want you to hear this. God's been looking for you. God's on a rescue mission. That's why he sent Jesus to this earth. Jesus didn't just come to this earth on an assignment for nothing. He came to this earth on an assignment. Look at what Luke 19 says. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Seek and to save. 
See, you're like, God, I'm looking for, no, no, he's, he's looking for you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And many times we miss God because it's us that gets out of position. We're afraid that God's mad at us. We're afraid that God's angry with us. Listen, you think that your sin repulses God and that he's going to go over there and just, he's going to berate you and make you feel less sin. Listen, God is a loving God. Yes, there's sin. Yes, there's judgment. But it's the love of God that leads us to repentance. When we sin, we shouldn't run from God. We should run to God. And the devil, if he can make you believe that God doesn't want you to run to him, then you miss the very person that can set you free from the sin that has entrapped you. And we've seen it since the beginning of time, right? We know the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis. What happens? They eat the fruit. They sin. And what do they do? They put on some fig leaves. They recognize the condition of their lives. They know they're naked before God. And what happens? They don't go looking for God. They're hiding. And what does God say? He says, Adam, Eve, hey, where are you? And some of you are here today or you're, you're worshiping online and God's saying, where are you? Where are you? I know you're here, but... I've been, I've been chasing you. I've been searching for you. He's looking for you. He cares about you. And I think sometimes we just, we run and hide. We're afraid. We're afraid. It reminds me of a story, a Baptist preacher that was doing visitation after church. That's what they did many times. They'd go out to other people's houses and thank them for coming to the church. It was really popular to do that. And so this pastor is out at a house and doing a house visitation. Let me just tell you, don't worry. We have a no hassle guarantee here. Nobody's going to show up at your house. Nobody's going to call you. So he's knocking on the door. Knock, knock, knock. Nobody comes to the door. So he knocks again. Knock, knock, knock. Nobody answers. And he gets this funny idea. He's like, man, I'll, I'll do something funny. He pulls out his business card and he says, you know, I, I, I'm just going to write this passage and so he writes a verse in there. It's Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 on the card. And it says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. So he puts it on the door and thinks it's funny and goes to church next week, Sunday, comes along. And the lady puts that same business card in the offering plate. And the usher gets it. And on the card, when she hands it to the pastor, is this passage, Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. Now, he didn't know what that verse was, so he goes and looks it up, and here's her response. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. <laughs> she outcuted him. But as funny as that is, I think it's a spiritual truth nonetheless. We run from God because we are afraid. God, you're out to get me. God, I, I just don't know if you'll really love me. I, 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 I don't know if I can uh, run to you. Will you embrace me in the middle of my mess? I want you to know God loves messes. He's not afraid of your mess, not afraid of your dysfunction. I, the older I get, I think it's funny because most of us think we are healthy and normal. And the truth is, I just learned everybody's a little messed up somewhere. You know, you just become normalized in your dysfunction. And then you look at everybody else, you're like, man, they jacked up. And it's like, and then somebody looks at you and says, woo, they jacked up too. God's not afraid of messes. And I want you to know, as a church, neither are we. We love you and your mess. 
But why does he search after us? It's really because he wants to rescue you. God rescues you. He, he, he embraces you. This is what we would call the moment of salvation. That God would run to you. He's, I think there's this misconception like, man, I got to fix myself up. And when I'm good enough, I'll go to church. No, no, you don't have to be good enough. I don't even care if you're sober. Mess some of you religious people up. I can tell you, I remember there was a couple years ago, we were in the back of the, the auditorium, we were in the gymnasium, or in the cafeteria, and, and one of the people on staff came up and said, Pastor, Pastor, hey, you, and this is the word, you will be so excited to know. I said, what? He said, there's four people in the back row, and they smell like weed. <laughs> I said, praise God. Come on, somebody, where, where else? Why would we send them somewhere else? Look, don't smoke it here. Don't get high here. But you can come on here. Like, like God loves your mess. God is not afraid of it. Like, I think it's the perfect place for you to be. I've seen God in my life. I was messed up. I was on drugs when I got saved. It's an amazing thing to see how God will embrace you. He's not, he's not worried about your mess. And, and we try to fix ourselves with, up without God. God says, come to me and then I'll fix you up. I'll pull you out of the mess. Look at Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. That in while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I, I was telling the early service, I... I I love to be around sinners. I, I think sometimes the closer we get to God and, and we're around church, we forget how messed up we were. We forget what our life was like before God and all the challenges. And, and so someone said, I like to be around people that cuss. I, I like to be around people that drink. And I don't drink. I don't cuss most of the time. <laughs> I don't do drugs. I'm not tempted by that. But isn't it interesting how in Matthew it says Jesus hung out with the tax collector and the sinners. Tax collectors were those that the Jewish people felt like had betrayed them. They'd become the puppets for Rome and they're taxing the people, God's people, so they hated them. And then sinners, they didn't even name the sin. They just said, sinners. I'm like, so you don't have no sin? When do we start labeling people? See, it's when you label someone, they become less than human. So anytime you label them, now you can't, have, you can't see them for who God made them. And we tend to label people how we meet them, but God defines you by how he made you. Valuable, priceless. And if we could say, man, we embrace the sinner. We love, and, and then what are we doing? We're leading them back to Jesus. Hey, listen, there was a God that saved me. Oh, you, I, I love people. I don't tell them that I'm a pastor all the time. Sometimes I do. Sometimes they say, what do you do? Well, I'm a builder. <laughs> what do you build? What well, people. Why? Because I don't want, the, I want them to be them. Because I found when I say pastor, you know, it's funny. They find out they're like, oh, pastor, I'm sorry I cussed. I, I shouldn't have dropped that one. That one's a bad one. I said, brother, you cussing ain't going to bother me at all. You be you and just keep hanging around me. Why? Because I'm going to lead you to the place where God saved me. God set me free. God delivered me. And because of his grace, I'm no longer the same person. And I want you to hear a story of a couple that God has touched and 
has pulled their lives out of the mess that they used to live in. Look at the story of Josh and Natalie. I'm Josh, I'm 26, I'm from Missouri City. I'm Natalie Brown, and well, we're married, but I don't have his last name yet. I was selling dope, smoking weed, and drinking like almost every night. Anytime I got mad, sad, upset, anything, I would go back to smoking, and that was like what was always there for me. I was pregnant, he wasn't quitting smoking, I had to quit smoking. Mm -hmm. To have him still living the same life that we were, I thought that I was gonna have to be pregnant and have this kid alone. I think in 2015, um, my brother had gotten a DWI and he wound up going to the same lawyer that I had back in 2011. And so she asked him if he had heard about the church because it was called the church at that time. So him and my mom were the only ones going for like a period of time and they would always tell me I need to go, I need to go. But I was always, you know, getting high every day, drinking every day. But I wound up coming you know, every so often, and I would be high every time. Mm -hmm. And I think people knew that, and I didn't feel judged, you know, and something just kind of made me want to keep going. Like, I kind of felt drawn. And then as soon as we walked in the doors, uh, Jay was like, hey, man, y'all are my people. If y'all need anything, just ask us. You know, we're here for you. And I would walk away, and I'd talk to Natalie. I'm like, man, that guy's weird. <laughs> and every time we came, Jay was the same. Hey, man, y'all need anything? Come talk to us. You know, y'all are my people. And eventually, I wasn't feeling so weirded out by him because it was just genuine love. I was always used to a kind of relationship where it was like, you you don't love me just to love me, you're trying to get something out of me. So whenever I realized that it was just real unconditional love, that's whenever I was like, okay, this might be the spot for me. So we go to get prayer for her and I'm actually trying to pray for his addiction. She starts praying over my addiction. And I'm thinking, what? I'm not doing anything, I'm pregnant, like I don't need this. And she says, you know, whenever I touch this or do that, like make her sick, make her not want it, make her not like it anymore. It was after the pandemic happened, um, you know, we started drinking again mm -hmm. and um, I went to smoke weed and I took a hit, just one hit, one small hit, and it hit just like that, and I did not like it. Even when I closed my eyes, I was scared. I was just scared, I felt fear. I was just like, I never wanna do this again. And I think it was that day, because that day that she prayed over me, I remember I had my eyes closed and I just began to weep. And then in my mind, I just pictured Jesus holding me when she gave me a hug. I felt him, and that was, literally the first time that I really felt him, like his presence there. I got in Iron Man, which was a weird story anyways, because I didn't know Charles like that. And uh, he was like, yeah, just sign up and try it. So I was like, all right, bet. So I showed up, 
and I was already kind of close with Tyler, so I saw him there. And then Jay, like I said in the beginning, we met the first time that I went to church. Anytime that I've slipped up, I know it says somewhere in the Bible, which I'm not that great with verses, is confess your sins to each other, and that's where you get the healing. So I confessed to Tyler, Jay, a few other people that go to our church. I'm like, hey man, like I slipped up. There's never been a moment in our church that I felt any kind of judgment. It's always been like, okay, well, what are you gonna do to be better? Like, how are you gonna overcome this and then come back from it? I think that sometimes we go through things that weren't really meant for us, but meant for somebody else to get through whatever situation that they might be going through. Like, hey, this guy can do it. I can too. I prayed before I even got here that I would say the right words and somehow my story would help somebody else out. There was a time where I wasn't talking to God. There was a time where I wasn't praying. I wasn't doing anything. I was just living for the next high. Mm -hmm. And now here I am reading in my Bible app, talking to God every single night, praying for my kids, praying for my husband, praying for my whole family. And there was a time that I wasn't even doing that. I just prayed for someone that was nearly lost his life. You know, he was on life support and we really thought that he was gone. They were planning his funeral and he woke up with a 20% chance of survival. And that answered me like, wow, you really listen. Because for the longest time I felt like, man, I pray and I pray and I pray, but I feel like he's not listening to me. But he really showed me like miracles really happen. And he really answered my prayers and everyone else's. And that shook me to a whole nother belief. Like my beliefs got stronger. Now I'm checking myself in areas of my life that I didn't realize I was so wrong. My family is way more important than my past. Like God is amazing how far that he took my life and just did a 180 and I'm going in the right direction now. I am not where I wanna be but I am so thankful that I'm not where I used to be. Come on, isn't that a powerful story? I just love the fact that God loves us in the middle of our mess. And I just want you to know whatever mess you find yourself in, God loves you. And uh, when we experience being rescued and saved, it doesn't stop there. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change to receive salvation. But once you are saved, that's where the next step comes in. He wants to restore you. He wants to bring restoration to your life. So many people, when they get saved, they think that's it. No, God wants to bring you back. He wants to, he created you with a purpose. He wants you to finish with a purpose. And some people, you go through life, you think my past has disqualified me. The struggles, they've, they've caused me to not be able to step up and step out. But I want you to know, God is a God of redemption. And once we're saved and he rescues us, now he starts to strip away the junk in our life. It's little by little. It's day by day. Aren't you glad God didn't show you all of your mess the first day? 
But every year it's just, okay, now we got to get rid of this. And now we're going to grow through that. And he continues to work on us each and every day. Today, I'm better than I was yesterday. Tomorrow, I'll be better than I was today. It's the process of restoration. The sad fact is that many Christians don't ever experience restoration. They think heaven is all there is. No, no, we're called to bring heaven to earth. We're called to glorify God, and every day we ought to reflect his image, and we ought to be more healed today than yesterday, and it comes in the context of relationships. I love what Josh said. He said, you know, I, I confessed my faults to my brothers. James 5.16 is the passage he was referring to. So many people think uh, that if we confess our, our faults to God, that he is the one that, that, that heals us, but truly God set up a system. Forgiveness comes from him. We confess our faults to God and he is faithful and just to forgive us. But James 5, 16 is, is something that most believers, they, they don't really understand, but it says if we'll confess our faults one to another, pray for each other, then he says you will be healed. Oh, well maybe that's why the devil has tried to isolate you. Maybe that's why that sister amazing or brother awesome maybe intentionally or unintentionally offended you. And so the devil knows if you're offended, then you're isolated. And if you're isolated, he can pick you off. And then you don't get to experience the freedom that God wants you to experience in your life. Want you to experience freedom. Want you to discover your purpose. That every person was made with a purpose. God, you, I need you to hear this. You're not an accident. I know it might have been an uh-oh or a slip-up from your parents, but God orchestrated. He destined for you to be in this place at this moment, in this point of history, because there's things on the inside of you he placed, knowing that there would be a demand that once he saved you and you're in the process of restoration, he would use your story to touch the world, that you would become the salt and the life to the world around you. God would restore you. I think often of a junkyard, you know, Pavel, there's Pavel, Pavel loves cars, he loves classic BMWs, and the other night we were talking, he was at my house and talking about restoring them, and I think our life is a great picture of that process. When you look to go and restore a car, you'd go to a junkyard and you find the junky car, it's sitting there. Many times, if you can imagine with me, it's, it's all rusted out, the ceiling might be caved in, the windows are broken out, mirrors may or may not be on the car, they're surely busted. I, I see you know, the upholstery ripped and a lot of times the seats are torn out and rims, I mean, you know, they may or may not have rims, depends on if they got jacked. So it's all lifted up on blocks and someone walks into the junkyard and says, that's the car. What, what are you talking about that car? That, that's a hoopty right there. Ain't none, no, no, I can do something with it. And the reason someone would do that is because they know the true value of that car. Not the condition of the car, but the value of the car. See, people, they want to label you in your current condition. God's like, no, 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 I know your value. And so many people don't know their value, so they just sit in the junkyard. And imagine just pulling, oh, I, I, I'm going to grab some rims and I'm going to restore the upholstery and the, the mirror and the windows. And, you know, I'm going to put some nice rims with maybe white walls all oh, facing out. Come on, you do that? I probably would. And I'd probably paint it candy apple red. I just love, whoop, go. <laughs> the beautiful thing about 
A car that's been restored is, it has greater value as a restored classic than it did in its original condition. So many of you are sitting there saying, God can't use me. No, God's going to use you. And what the devil meant to destroy you, God's going to use it to touch the world around you. There's a story of redemption. And it comes through the process that God wants us to live our life with his resurrection power on the inside. I've got my twin brother and, and his wife, Stephanie and Steve. And of course, my wife down here and our boys. And I remember when we started the church, it was, we just wanted to create a place where people could come and experience Jesus. And back then we, we said, we'd take off the mask. That was pre-corona. Now it's like literal. We, we would take off the mask. And what do we mean? That we would actually be honest with each other. We'd be real with each other. Look, I got issues. You got issues. Just look to the person and say, you got some issues. Now, <laughs> he's like, that's my spouse. I ain't doing that. <laughs> smart man, smart man. I think people think, well, I don't have no issues. Well, that's your issue. I had somebody get on social media and blast me. They said, well, I don't want to be a pet. I said something about, you know, I'm just in a hospital. We're all in the hospital. They're like, I don't want to be in the church where the pastor's in the hospital. I'm like, the last I saw, ain't nobody perfect till we get to heaven. There are areas of all of our lives that God is healing. All I know is I want to be like this. I need people helping me, and I'm pulling people with me. That's why I got overseers. That's why I got trustees. That's why I got a pastor. Why? Because he's pulling me forward, and together as the body, we're not separated on an island. We're a body. We're functioning. We're moving. We're healing. We're growing. We're being restored together. It's part of God's process. And ultimately, he engages you. It's not about perfection. People say, well, I'll engage in his mission and his vision when I don't have any problems. Newsflash, that's never going to happen. Come on, we're always going to have problems. Well, pastor, that's not so positive. I'm positive you will always have problems. God never guaranteed for us to have a problem-free life. That's the challenge with the American gospel. Listen, we've lost the art of suffering the art of perseverance, the art of patience, the art of saying, God, if I never see the fulfillment of that promise today, I will see it when I step into eternity, but I'm not quitting. I'm not backing up. I'm not stopping. I'm going to continue to move my life forward. I choose to move forward and engage in people's lives. And that's the beautiful thing. It's not just about getting saved. It's not just about being restored. It's about letting God use your life to impact the world that is around you. With Jesus, failure's never final. You got this. And I love that about our dream team. We have all the dream teamers that help. Can we tell them how much we love them? They, they greeted us at the door and served us and our children and we're going to go do a big egg hunt. Look, all of y'all, we just go ahead and get your eggs. I had a parent the other day say, see, my kid thinks the egg's for them. I'm hijacking the candy tonight. So you let your kid think the candy's for them and then just steal it. Say, well, you don't need all that candy anyway. Thank you, Dream Teamers. The countless hours of setting up and making this so great for us. There's a purpose. There's a reason. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. Your light, let it shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father 
in heaven, that everything we do would lead people to Jesus. As we get ready to close, I, my encouragement is no matter where you're at, maybe you're here today and you recognize God is searching for you. What an amazing moment. What a powerful moment to know that the God of the universe orchestrated the invite of that person that asked you to come and be a part. See, you, you didn't even realize it was the divine setup. You didn't even think you'd like church, and now you're sitting in church, and you're feeling something you hadn't felt in a long time. It's a divine setup. Maybe you're here and God saved you, but you felt like your life was over. I want you to know that God wants to restore your dreams. Restore your faith. Restore your relationships. He's the God of restoration. He's not done. I, I tell people often, look, as long as I'm breathing, there's still hope. Some of you came in hopeless. Let the God of hope fill you today. Then engage. Don't allow all that God's doing in your life to sit idle. Say, I'm going to engage. Engage your world. Engage people. Engage in the body. Engage in this church. Let me just tell you, this church is functioning good without you, but we'd be a whole lot better with you. Because you can look at it, you say, oh, they got it all going on. They don't need me. No, 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 we need you. Why? Because there are still people that are hurting, that are dying, that are going to hell. It's the people that aren't here yet that keeps us moving forward. We need you. I believe there's a great harvest that's going to come like we've never seen. Why? Because people are desperate. And they're not desperate for religion. They're desperate for a real God. So can we be the hands and feet? Can we say, I'll, I'll be Jesus with skin on it? I got a little bit of mess, but hopefully in my mess you'll see Jesus. It's the greatest fulfillment of a person's life. That I'm making a difference, that my life matters, that I'm impacting eternity. And it all begins with Jesus. It always has. Read a story of a man in upstate New York, a wealthy man, multimillionaire, had all that he had ever wanted. He owned houses, land, cattle, antiques, just had everything. And yet his life was unfulfilled. He was unhappy on the inside because him and his wife were growing old and they had no kids. His desire was to have a boy so that his legacy would live on. Miraculously, his wife conceives in her old age and gives boy birth to the boy of the son that he had always wanted. That boy was born, man. He loved that child and that son, and his heart was full. But at the age of five, the boy's mother passes away. Grieved by the loss, he clings to the boy even more, and their relationship gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Sadly, at the age of 13, the boy unexpectedly passes away too. And the father, unable to live with the grief, passes shortly after as well. And because this man didn't have any heirs, no one else to take the estate, it went off into an auction. And here we see the day of the auction. There are hundreds of people there ready to bid for all the treasures that this man had. 
And in there, the auctioneer begins. Here we go. First item up for bid. It was a painting of the boy. Now, the people that came for the auction, they didn't want that painting of the boy. They came for the treasure. So the auctioneer says, who'll start the bid? Nobody bids. They're waiting for the good stuff, the things they came for. Nobody will, nobody will start the bid. All of a sudden, a poor housekeeper who helped to raise the boy shouts out, I got $5. It's all I got. Auctioneer looks at her. Anybody else bid? Anybody else bid? No one bid. Said, going once, going twice, sold to the lady for $5. Everybody was excited. Now they're going to get to the good stuff. Auctioneer hits the gavel and says, I'm sorry, the auction is closed. Everybody gasps. What? 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 He goes and he grabs a piece of paper off the back of that painting, begins to read the letter and the will of the man. And it says, to the one who took my son, they get it all. I don't know why you're here. What brought you? But I can tell you this, when you get Jesus, you get it all. You get the hope, you get joy, you get peace, you get grace, you get strength, you get eternity. And sometimes we want him for the benefits. No, no, we just need him because we're lost. I'm a sinner and I'm dying and I'm going straight to hell. I just need you, Jesus. And when you go and get him for the right reason, oh, what an amazing thing happens. Yeah.